So we'll be reading from uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It is on page 1173. It's continuing our series on, uh, on the book of Ephesians. So it'll be from verse, chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in in every way. The Apostle Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Father, this morning, as we gather here together, as we've now heard your word read, as we listen to it, as we think about it more now, please would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Please help us as we walk through this mortal life to see with the eyes of faith, to have spiritual sight, to see you, to know you better, to know what you have done for us, and to know the hope to which you have called us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what you think of if I say, what is it uh, that makes you most afraid Perhaps it's something more towards, forgive me if this is your fear, the trivial end, like spiders, um, or snakes, um, or rats, those sorts of things. Things of which we are afraid, some people, but actually the likelihood of, well firstly, um, the likelihood in our nation of encountering a dangerous snake, or spider, or indeed a dangerous rat is fairly low. But still, those things can cause people great fear, real paralyzing, gripping fear. Or perhaps uh, there is a more immediate and rather larger fear that is hanging over you right now. Perhaps the fear of redundancy. Perhaps there are redundancies being made where you are working at the moment and you wonder whether your job is at risk. Perhaps fears for your family, fears for aging parents, or ill children. Perhaps your own health, 
perhaps a recent uh, diagnosis that has got you really worried, perhaps debt troubles, many things of which we might be afraid. Now, those who were here last week will remember that, may remember, I'm not, not guaranteeing anything, may remember, um, that the Ephesians in their city had much to be afraid of because they were Christians. So they were a very small minority in their city. And they were a very small minority daily reminded of the dominant force in the region. That was the Temple of Diana, the Temple of Artemis, up on the hill above the city. Uh, Diana was worshipped by more people in their day than any other deity apart from Caesar. And it was the law that you had to worship Caesar, so arguably Diana was possibly more popular even than Caesar. Her statue was carved from a meteorite that fell from heaven. She was described as the queen of the cosmos and, interestingly, the saviour of the world. Might sound familiar. She was something of a big deal. But the temple was not only the centre of religious dealings, and from it came religious persecution against the Christians, but also financial dealings. So to disassociate yourself from the temple worship of Diana meant financial risk. It might have meant losing your job. It might have meant money struggles. It might have meant being cut off from your family. And in their day, they were terribly afraid of evil spirits that could bring sickness and suffering and death. And so the way to appease those evil spirits was through sacrifices to Diana or by claiming power from more powerful magic forces. And you would get the power of those demons by those, those spirits, they thought, if you knew their name. So if you knew the name of a demon, the name of a spirit, the name of a god, then you had power over that to control it, to bend it to your will, to keep you safe. And as we saw last week in Acts 19, if you weren't here, some background for Ephesus comes in Acts 19. So that's where we see Paul arriving in the town of Ephesus, to which he's writing in the book of Ephesians. And there's this huge riot as the, uh, the, the um, uh, what is it, the sort of the, the town uh, square is gathered, um, and that, that town, um, the, the auditorium, that's it, uh, could hold 12,000 people. And we're told that it was full with people protesting against the Christians. And for two hours chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, because they were worried at the, the risk, that the, at the fact that the Christians were opposed to their God. So lots of reasons for them to be afraid. And last week we saw that Paul wanted to encourage them. He said, look, you might feel small, you might feel weak, you might feel afraid, but see how blessed you are. Read with me again from uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on for the rest of that section from 4 through to verse 14 all about the great gifts that they have. And then this week we get a report of Paul's prayer. So this week Paul begins verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. So he's reporting on a prayer that he's praying for them. What is the reason well, the reason is that they have inherited the blessings of, chapters, uh, of, of verses 4 to 14. Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, that is, ever since I heard that you are believing this, and ever since I heard that your lives 
show the marks of people who believe this, then I have not stopped giving thanks that you have the blessings that I've just been talking about. So Paul begins by looking back and giving thanks, and then he spends the rest of this section looking forwards and praying something for them. And it was, it's on the title of our service sheet. He prays that they would see what they have. He prays that they would see what they have. So he says, look, you have these blessings, but now I pray that you would see them so that you do not need to be afraid anymore, so that you do not need to feel weak anymore. Because if we could see what we have, then we would not be afraid. If we could see the power that God has for us, we would not be afraid. So let's take a quick look at that. Paul writes, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So they've already got the spirit. We know that from verse 14. But Paul writes, he's praying that the spirit would open their eyes, would give them a spirit of wisdom to see what is truly true, to see what is really real. He goes on to explain what he means. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that, in order that you may know some things. So Paul is praying that they would see what they have. I think we've talked about this before, about the worldview goggles. You can look through the eyes of the world, or you can see the world with the eyes of faith. And here Paul is speaking about the difference between what we see with the eyes of flesh, and then what we see with the eyes of our heart. So as we look around the world, we can see the world and ourselves in other people in one of two ways. We can see through the eyes of flesh, or we can see through the eyes of faith. And the same things will look very different. So take ourselves. If we look at ourselves with the eyes of flesh, well, what do we see? Bit of good, bit of bad, and depending on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, mostly good or mostly bad, mostly a success or mostly a failure, depending how you feel possibly from day to day with the eyes of flesh. But with the eyes of faith, when we look at ourselves, what should we see? Well, according to chapter 1, we should see someone who is in Christ. With the eyes of faith, we can see someone who is in Christ so that we have Christ's righteousness. So that whatever the day of the week, however things are going, however good our morning was, however bad our week has been, we see ourselves with the eyes of faith in Christ, his righteousness, his forgiveness, and then the hope to which we are called to ourselves. What about the church? What about us as we look around this morning? What do we see with the eyes of faith? Sorry, with the eyes of flesh. What do we see with the eyes of flesh as we look around this morning? Well, we see a bunch of people who look really quite different. We see a bunch of people from different backgrounds. We see people of different ages. But what do we see when we look with the eyes of faith? Well, if we are in Christ, then with the eyes of faith, as we look around the church, we see family. We see brothers and sisters, different parents, but the same family because we all belong to God. And what about outside? Outside those, out, those outside our little church? Well, with the eyes of flesh, well, potentially, we can risk seeing it as those who aren't part of our little club. This is our little club. They're not part of our little club. And we're happy with our little club, and they can carry on being not part of our little club. But with the eyes of faith, 
we will see people who we want to share the message of truth, the gospel of salvation with, so that they too can be in Christ. Anyone can be in Christ and share the blessings that are on offer. Eyes of flesh, eyes of faith. Well, what is it that Paul particularly wants the Ephesians to see? There are three things. Verse 18 again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that, one, you may know the hope to which he has called you. So that as we go around in this life, as life is difficult, as life is frustrating, we see that there is something better in the future, that there is a hope. We all know the lift it is when you're having a bad week, but you know you are on holiday next week. You know that this time next week, your feet will be on sand, you'll be paddling in the sea, you'll be drinking whatever is your drink of preference on the beach. And you say, I can take this because I know that that is coming. And Paul says there is a much, much greater hope coming in the future. He prays that we would see the hope to which God has called us and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That is how good that inheritance is. As we said last week, it is not an inheritance that we earn. It is Jesus' inheritance. And we receive it with him if we are in him. We are heirs with him. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And then the third one, and the third one is the big one, because he then goes on about this for the whole of the rest of the chapter. I won't read it all now, but verse 19, and Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. God's incomparably great power for us who believe. And I think Paul is saying this here because in the Ephesian context, where they felt small and weak, and they were surrounded by other powers that seemed so powerful. Well, the risk is they could read what was there in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and say, that's nice, but is this God who you're preaching to us, Paul, is he really powerful enough to defend us from the other forces at work in our lives? Is he powerful enough to defend us from those that threaten us in this age and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms who are arrayed against us. Well, because there is, we said last week, and one of the ways of looking at a passage and finding out what the emphasis is, is to look at repeated phrases. And last week we saw sort of uh, more than ten times in that first section this phrase, in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That the blessings are ours in Christ. Well, there's another phrase that popped up for the first time in chapter 1, verse 3, that then recurs throughout the book. And it's quite an unusual phrase. It doesn't occur in many of Paul's other letters. It doesn't occur in many other Bible books. And it's this, verse 3. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So those blessings that we have, Paul says they are in the heavenly realms. And then we get the phrase again here in verse 20. Uh, Paul writes, the power that God has for us is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So that's 1 verse 20. Uh, if you're following along, flick over to chapter 2 verse 6. And we'll look at this next week. That God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, verse 6, in the heavenly realms. Chapter 3 verse 10. God's intent was that through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to, and then we get some characters who live in the heavenly realms, the rulers and authorities 
in the heavenly realm. So once more, there's this heavenly realm. And so at this point, we're thinking, okay, what is this heavenly realm? And now, who are these rulers and authorities? We'll flick over to chapter 6, verse 12, and we see that perhaps there are some which are for good, but also, verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle in this life is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you wanted a summary for the book of Ephesians, it is this. Ephesians 3.10 until Ephesians 1.10. Ephesians 3.10 until Ephesians 1.10. I'm going to try and say that every week so that we remember it. Because with that, you can summarize the whole book. Ephesians 3.10 is what God is doing now. And Ephesians 1.10 is what God is doing in the future. Ephesians 1.10 is that God is going to unite all things in Christ... But now, let's flick back to Ephesians 3.10, Paul writes, God's intent is that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That is, I don't know, this is probably a bit of a dated reference, um, the, the old Jason and the Argonauts, the really old Ray Harryhausen one, I can see some nods, with the really scary skeletons they kind of move slowly and then all of a sudden they run and scream and it's really scary and it's amazing because it was all done with that stop motion stuff. There's a scene in there which is kind of like the Greek gods and they're all sitting around this sort of swimming pool. It's called a it looks like a swimming pool but they call it I think the reflecting pool and through that pool they look on at what is happening in life and they have this debate you know should we help Jason should we not you know yada yada yada. they have a bit of a, a battle but that is based on the way that they actually believe things worked. So they believed that the gods sat up in the heavens and looked down on the earth and decided how to get involved or not. Sounds a little bit crazy. Paul says there is something of a truth in them. There is a heavenly realm. There is more going on in this world than what we can see with our eyes. Now, if we are Christian believers, this should not be a surprise to us. We believe in God. You cannot see God. We believe in spiritual forces that you cannot see. But as well as God, there is, of course, Satan. And there are other spiritual forces. There are angels. And there are fallen angels. There are demons. And as Paul writes in chapter 6, verse 12, the struggles that we have in this life are not just against the things that we can see. But behind those things are spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly places that are against us. But Paul writes that God's plan for the church is that as the spiritual powers and authorities look onto the church, they see a, a sort of a, a, a kind of like a, a prototype of what God is doing with the whole of the cosmos. So he said, chapter 1, verse 10, God's plan for the whole of the cosmos is to unite everything in Christ. And so now we should be able to look at the church and say, ah, here is a people united in Christ from different backgrounds and nations with different languages, different parents, from different financial situations, from different ethnicities, but yet, together, one in Christ, a family. And my big prayer for this series is that as we go on, that would be a challenge to us, and that would be more and more the case for our church 
that we would more and more be living out the unity that we have. We've called this series, Everything is Spiritual, because everything we do has spiritual consequences. We've called it, Everything is Spiritual, making the invisible visible through the church, because that is what God is wanting to do, to make that invisible truth of the unity we have visible in the church. That's God's big goal for his people. But this week, back to our focus on seeing what we have. God wants us to see the amazing power that uh, is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Remember he said before that they thought that if you had the name of a demon, the name of a power, you had that demon's power. And so no doubt some people were putting curses on the Christians in the name of other demons. And so Paul says you do not need to fear that. Jesus is above every name that may be invoked. Every name that might be feared. Well, what are the names that we might fear today? Well, possibly unemployment. Possibly your boss. Possibly your boss's boss. Possibly your difficult neighbor. Your abusive ex-partner. Whatever the situation might be. Simon Gilbo was a missionary, well, is a missionary in Burundi which at the time when he went there was thought to be the most dangerous nation on earth, and it is still a very, very dangerous country to live in. And he met a man whose village had been destroyed, all his possessions had been taken from him, and he had nothing except the clothes on his back. And this man, as Simon met him, was singing praises to Jesus. And Simon said, how can you praise Jesus when you've lost everything? And this man said to him, it wasn't until Jesus was all I had that I realized Jesus was all I needed. There is a man who has the eyes of his heart enlightened because seeing clearly means that nothing can make us afraid. In September 2013, uh, my friend Carl's dad was diagnosed with stomach cancer. This is from an email update that Carl sent in January 2014. Dad will have an operation on Wednesday afternoon, 5th of February. The surgeon has said he expects to remove the whole stomach. Carl continued. Dad is in good spirits, and he and mum are totally at peace, knowing the Lord is in control. There is a man who has the eyes of his heart enlightened, because seeing clearly means that nothing can make us afraid. In August 2014, at a follow-up scan, the results came back clear for Carl's dad. But in December 2014, they found more cancer, this time in his small intestine. They couldn't operate, and eight months later, August 2015, he died. This is what Carl wrote the next day. Thank God for our Savior and salvation, for our Lord Jesus and the wonderful riches stored up for us in heaven for dad and for all who follow Jesus. Just lost his father, 
but he was able to write that. There is a man who has the eyes of his heart enlightened. Because seeing clearly means that nothing need make us afraid. We can pray about all the circumstances in our lives. And sometimes they will change. And sometimes they will get easier. But sometimes they won't. We prayed for over a year for Carl's father, and yet he still died. And if God doesn't answer our prayers the way we would love him to, that's okay. If our life doesn't get easier, that's okay, because nothing can take away what God has for us if we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is on the throne, and he is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Let us pray that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might have that kind of faith also. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for what you have done for us in Christ. We thank you that your power means that nothing, nothing can threaten or take away the blessings, the riches that are ours stored up for us in heaven. Please would you give us the spiritual sight to see that so that we also might not be afraid. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.